Welcome to episode 22 of the Inspired Energy Podcast with Murray Guest. This episode, I'm catching up with Leanne Hughes, podcast host of the First Time Facilitator and all-round fantastic person. Leanne and I caught up in Omaha recently at the Clifton Strength Summit, and we reflect on our visit to Omaha and what that was like attending the, the summit and connecting with strengths enthusiasts from all around the world. Both being strengths coaches and passionate about strengths, we also dive a bit into Leanne's top five strengths of ideation, maximizer, futuristic, activator, and positivity. We also talk about Leanne's passion for facilitation and what she has got out of hosting the First Time Facilitator podcast and providing opportunity to capture all these tips and insights for people around facilitation. So here we go with episode 22 with Leanne Hughes. Welcome Leanne to the podcast. Great to have you. How are you this week? I am doing really well, like tremendous. I'm having a great week, Murray. How about yourself? Uh, very good, except for a bit of a cold. Um, maybe that's, I, I should listen to you a bit about, you know, how we look after ourselves with all our facilitation. Well, it's actually funny you say that because I know you were on my podcast and I was asking you that question about how you avoid burnout. Actually, you gave me a really good tip on that interview that I've been using now. The, um, the old magnesium powder. Oh, yes, it, it is very helpful. I use it for uh, calming my mind, but also relaxing my muscles. Um, but you know, as much as I do those things and I think I've got it under control, kids still bring germs home from school. Well, you can't really kick out your kids. So. <laughs> <laughs> no. And, and guess what? I'm human. I'm, I am very human and I'm sure I could have been looking after myself a bit better in the last few weeks with all the travel. So yeah. Speaking of yes. travel, how was your trip to Omaha? I loved Omaha. I actually wished I'd stayed in Omaha longer. I really, I know that sounds weird, but I'd just come from um, eight nights in New York, which was really hectic. So getting into Omaha was just, it was actually really calming and I wish I did it the other way around. So Omaha first and New York second, because I arrived in very um, kind of like the way that you're sounding, a little <laughs> bit burnt out, I had a few late nights. So, um, but the conference, we were there both, I mean, you've been there every year. So Murray, if uh, your listeners don't know, is a bit of a celebrity oh, at the it. Gallup Strengths Conference. <laughs> uh, everyone's like, oh, you know Murray Guest. <laughs> was that your American and, accent? Because that was that Yeah, was okay. it was a bit of a twang, a bit yeah. of a twang. Uh, what an experience. Yeah, I just loved being in a room of over 1,600 people that could talk the same language and we all had a passion for this movement. We could, it all had an impact on us personally. So you could really you know, pretty much walk up to any, any stranger and have a great chat about their experiences with it. I, I agree. And yeah, I've been to the summit each year and um, there's a real strong sense of sharing and collaboration and openness in the strengths community. And every year I've um, solidified relationships with people all around the world and created new ones. And Omaha as a city is one of those places in America, um, in the Midwest that a lot of people um, in America say, hey, we don't ever stop here. We fly over it but it's actually a really nice city. It's easy to get around, some good food. Um, it actually is, it looks like it has more infrastructure than it needs. It's like, that's what it's like to me. Yeah, everything is so accessible. I liked the fact that it was flat as well. So if you went running in the morning, it's nice and easy. And yeah, I just found it like a really kind of, um, not, oh, I don't know if quaint's the word, but everyone was just so friendly. It was just a very nice place. And I, yeah, I don't know if you're, on a strict time frame in America and you're not, you know, probably would bypass it to be honest. But if I think for a conference location, um, it's the perfect setup because everything is so close. The bars are um, uh, in easy sort of range. Um, the weather was nice. Yeah. Couldn't fault it. So um, if there was one thing you took out of your trip to your first Clifton strength summit that you have integrated back into your life, what would it be? I think it would be, and we had a bit of a conversation on this just prior to hit, hitting the record button. Um, on the, the last day, we were given a copy of the new Gallup book called It's the Manager. And I actually remember before the conference, I saw the book was released, but I wasn't too interested in it, to be honest. And then I heard the interview with both authors, the two gyms, 
about how the manager-employee relationship is the most critical relationship and it can help build engagement and build a culture. Look, and I knew all this. I knew all this in terms of the theory behind it. But what they really sort of escalated through all the research and the latest stats is how critical the relationship is. And I, like I've just recently come out of a big corporate company and we're working on engagement and you've got managers that have like 50 different action items. But really, if you, you can keep it really simple and just think about if you want to make an impact, just impact the people that are directly reporting to you. Um, start conversations and just be a good human. And that's it. And the engagement and culture will take care of itself. If every manager had that focus, you'd see um, engagement results just soar. Oh, I, I, I totally yeah. agree. I loved hearing Jim Clifton and Jim Harder talk about um, their passion for It's the Manager. And as you said, the book contains some, some awesome research, but also some practical application as well. And I was yeah, I was surprised by it. Yeah, again, I, I it's good length to strengths as well and to the cultural work and engagement, which Gallup does. I was working with a leader this week in a coaching session and just that sense comes up again with so many leaders that I work with around the busyness. I'm so busy doing stuff, but the stuff they're doing isn't leadership. Mm. Yeah, there's, yeah, sorry, keep going. I'm, I'm interested to hear what else. <laughs> well, the conversation <laughs> we're having and, and this leader was talking through their challenges with some of their low performers and how they're not investing the time in those low performers because they're so busy doing these other, let's just say technical elements of their role. Yet the question we kept coming back to is, well, what are you really paid to do and where have you got that clarity and the conversation this leader need to have to reset the expectations from their, the person they report to, but also the people they're leading. And honestly, middle managers are in that pinch point, aren't they? Of mm. trying to balance out that technical aspects, you know, quite often of their role, but also the leadership part of their role. Yeah, big time. They really are. And it's, I was looking at also expectations of mid-level managers these days. They've got to be the diversity champion. They've got to be the environmental champion, the safety champion. Um, they've got to be, there's so many expectations that are coming down the funnel that they need to implement. And so I understand the whole, like, how do we do all of this? But I think, and what the book really brings out is that it's not about doing anything extra. It's about what you're doing, but making more of those conversations, those touch points, the performance meetings more impactful through the way that you structure those. So it's using your existing time more effectively and getting the tools to do so. But you're right, it's still very common because people are promoted based on their technical ability, not based on the way that they can lead people and lead teams. And because they're promoted in their technical area of expertise, they feel like then they have to know even more and be even more credible. So have you actually, there's a really good book um, I heard the other day, um, Oh, what's it called? Something about turn the ship around or uh, David Marquet. Oh, okay. No, then it's one. Yeah. So he worked in the U S military and he'd spent um, like a whole year getting ready to captain the ship. And then at the last minute they said, Oh, sorry, you're not on this ship. We're going to put you onto another one. And he actually had no idea how this other ship worked. So the, for the first couple of days, he's sort of fumbling around pretending that he knows everything. He gets caught out pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And then this was like the lowest performing naval ship in the military. And within a year, because he didn't have the technical expertise and he was using coaching and questions and relying on the expertise of his people, he turned the ship around. It became the highest productive and the, the, the morale just went through the roof. Um, so that was an interesting case study. Yeah, I, I love, um, I'm just picturing uh, the challenges that he must have faced, like being on the ship where as much as there's a consistent process, I'm assuming in the defense force, but they're all their own micro cultures, aren't they? And, yeah. um, and how we'd need to actually get to know the people and, um, and use those leadership skills. Now I'm going to ask you something which just popped into my head. Do you think anyone in a leadership role is there to just be hundred percent focused on leading the people? No, Do, no, of course not. <laughs> no, no. And, and I think that's think? the challenge. Well, I, I totally agree with you. It was a, it was a loaded question, might I just add. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> what I think is there's this, this role that people are in, which is somewhere between leading the people and then doing some other, let's again use a word like technical aspect of the business that they work in. And it's about how do they find 
the time or prioritize the time to get more of the leadership um, focus happening. Yeah. And that's it. It's, it's this constant sort of balance between, uh, I, I don't know if you've seen this pie graph, but it's where you get people to map their time in three mm. different areas. So the technical work, the scheduling slash planning, and then the paperwork. So I guess when you start in an organization, you're hundred percent technical. And then as you sort of step up, you see a shift. So bringing on towards more of the people. I always ask people in my um, leaders in my workshops around the mid-level group, I said, oh, where are you spending most of your time? And it's pretty much split into like at thirds. They don't actually recognize that it should be heavily now mapped to the people side. And when you sort of talk about that, it's like they, it doesn't even really dawn on them until you really explore why why they should spend more time in the people role and getting results through others because that's what, what leadership is all about. I totally agree. And John Adair um, has a model which I've used quite a bit and it's a Venn diagram around the technical, the task and the team. And again, where's that percentage of time that as a leader you're investing in those three areas? And similar to you, I asked that question of people in the workshops around, well, where do you invest your time currently? And I even think that the awareness of where you're investing the time is really important because I think mm. quite often it's just the day-to-day -day grind of or feeling of a grind in a leadership role, a middle manager role, and I'm not actually aware of where I'm investing my time. Yeah, big time. And it's very much reactive over response. Yeah. Um, mm. So why do you do what you do? Well, actually, it's funny because I was actually, um, I did do HR and psych as part of uni, but I actually moved more into marketing when I left university. And how I got back into the organisational development space was I was, well, I love personal development. Let's start off with that. So when I was about 12, I read The Seven Habits. Mm -hmm. It was a from my dad <laughs> and I just love personal development but I got that kind of left a, a while and then I got back into marketing I had this boss uh, the owner of a company called Wicked Campus he's a bit crazy but he gave me these Jim Rohn CDs and I started listening I love Jim Rohn do you like Jim yeah 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 great love it <laughs> yeah and then I just started going to all these sort of self-development and professional development workshops and it came to a point where I was sitting in these rooms thinking, I feel like I know a bit more than the person running this or I feel like I could do a better job than the person um, at the front of the room. And so that led down this whole rabbit hole of sort of doing a lot of reading, getting exposure to, um, to a global company and working in the talent management space and then as a result getting the opportunity to facilitate workshops all around the world for our internal workforce um, so most recently I've left that and started my own gig but the reason why I love doing it is because I love seeing the I just feel like uh, I'm going to pull like a Harry Potter um, analogy have you read <laughs> Harry Potter of course I have I'm yeah. actually off to Melbourne soon to go and watch the uh, stage show with my daughter, which I'm very excited. Oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah. But they've got muggles, right? So the muggles are the humans that have no idea about this wizardry. So mm. I feel like um, before people get into my workshops, they, they're kind of like muggles. They're navigating the world of leadership, but they haven't been given the tools or know what they need to do. So I love uh, changing, turning them from muggles to people that like, are like, right, I know the secret now. I know how I'm going to navigate this when I get back. Because it's fascinating. I, I've worked with even one guy who is a superintendent in Mongolia. I've been leading for 20 years, had never done a leadership program. Yeah. And he just came up to me at the end of the workshop saying, I wish I'd known all this 20 years ago. Like how much would this have helped me? Mm. So mm -hmm. I, I do it for those type of moments. So I think it's just giving people secrets, shortcuts, and a bit of wizardry. <laughs> so, i just made that up actually <laughs> I, I i love it i honestly i love it and what's funny because sometimes i've i've been with a client and they say well the team's doing this we want to see more of this we want to see less of this we need to improve this and they've got this whole list and i'll say i'm not a magician however <laughs> let's see what we can start to do let's start through getting the conversations happening but that new way of looking at the world, like you're saying through magic, um, there's the impact, isn't there? Not just professionally, but personally. And I can imagine that leader, as you said, in Mongolia, he would have um, had a difference. I, I'm, again, I'm imagining here, not just at work, but the way he interacted with people, his family outside of work as well, just through this new perspective that you're bringing into his world. 
Mm, yeah, that's right. And that's, I think we forget that the impact isn't just in the workplace, of course, it's with the, you know, the relationships that matter to you most and communities. And so, yeah, I mean, we have our own working with corporates. It can actually have a bigger spread than what we imagine. Yeah. Mm. And so your uh, team Gryffindor, I assume? <laughs> of course. Of course. Of course. Sl- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, of course, Gryffindor, definitely. Gryffindor, yes. great, great, great. I'm, I'm too, I'm too. I could have been awkward. <laughs> yes. My responsibility strength says that I need to be in Gryffindor. Okay. I don't, responsibility is pretty low for me. So <laughs> I, I kind of want Slytherin. They're a bit edgy. I, I don't mind a bit, of, um, a bit of evil. Yeah. See, I have to follow the rules. Like we were in, um, when I was in Omaha with a group of coaches and we're going, you know, walking down the street and the, the green man hasn't come up. People are walking across the street and I'm going, I'm, I'm conflicted right now. My responsibility says I've got to do the right thing. I would have been leading that walk. I know that's really bad coming from someone um, with that had to have safety as one of our principles. Um, Now that I'm out of that. Yeah, no, I'm a a bit edgy sometimes. Um, So which of your top five strengths, ideation, maximizer, futuristic, activator, positivity, are you going to get tattooed on your neck? (laughs) I love having ideation at number one, but I'm going to say activator. Activator. Okay. And, and what yeah. is it about activator that you've like totally claimed so much you're going to get tattooed on your body? I just love the philosophy of activation. Even this week, um, I actually, I've been doing a bit of LinkedIn videos this week and that became, I just had this idea on Sunday, like I should just do five days of LinkedIn videos. And then I just did them and it's been really great. Like i I just love getting an idea and taking action and people come to me all the time because they want a bit of injection of that. They, because I see so many people just talking about things and it's like, just do one thing. They, they always ask me like, how are you getting all this cool stuff? It's like, I'm just putting things out there and I don't take failure very seriously. I just say, well, lesson learned, let's move on. So I think my husband thinks Activate is a bit interesting. So couple years ago I think we were talking we're just talking about a trip to Africa and then later that week I booked a trip to Africa so he's very (laughs) wary of uh even mentioning holiday destinations around me or or any kind of idea because I'll just I don't know I'll get it straight onto YouTube or start investigating it and then I'm off so I really really love Activator. Yeah Tammy my wife has activated her top five and it was a pre-strengths um, challenge for us at times as mm. I felt it was a contrast to my responsibility. We need to do the right thing. need to plan a trip. We need to make sure we're saving up for it, whatever it is. And yeah. she'd be like, no, let's go. We can do it. We'll make it work. <laughs> She's so, my peep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's it's really relationships. It really can. Yeah. But again, I know I've talked lots of times on the podcast and in workshops about again, the power of strengths goes way beyond, you know, the workplace. And for us, it's been that language and appreciation for the different approaches and perspectives that we both have. Yeah, I actually, you're right. The first time I did the strengths, um, I think within the week I got my husband to do it and we just compared our results and things made a lot more sense. So I definitely think it's valuable for, for your closest relationships as well. And you had the first time facilitator podcast and you're still doing that as I understand. Yeah. So yeah. I think I release episode 75 next week. Wow. And I, to me, I'm, the reason I'm thinking of it is again, that was an activator um, element or your activator, you know, being at play where you've, as I understand you were facilitating and there wasn't that, you know, that opportunity for that sort of resource or support through a podcast. And you went, you know what, I'm going to create a podcast for people that are facilitating for the first time. That's right. Yeah. So before I went to Canada to run this um, week long program, I was sort of seeking out podcasts and there was excellent ones on public speaking, but nothing about the wicked environment of a workshop and how you handle that. So I was really looking out for it. There wasn't any. So I thought, look, I'll just, I'll have a crack at this. And it's been so great because not only do I, well, I get the opportunity to chat, to chat to amazing people and I just get to share that with everyone. So it's actually quite self-indulgent because I ask some questions that I have about facilitation just for, for my own sake, but it's wonderful that people around the world are also getting value just from a conversation that you record at home. I find it fascinating, the whole medium. 
Uh, and it's, it's a fantastic podcast. Anyone that's listening to this one that is in facilitation and wants to increase or improve their skills, um, doesn't matter if you've been facilitating for um, five minutes or five years or 15 years, there's so much value in the conversations that Leanne has. Um, and I, I actually, I think it's a great resource for so many people. Oh, thank you. And I think you'd think sort of after 20 episodes, you would have learned everything about facilitation. Everyone's like, how, how are you going to keep this going? Because, but the thing is every single week I get different, I get my, my challenge is to get diverse facilitators, different ages, countries, uh, industries. And every week I'm learning something new or even it might even be like a contrasting perspective on someone something sorry on something that someone else has said but that's the beauty of facilitation is that mm. we will bring in these different strengths into our work if there's a couple of tips that you're happy to share that stand out to you that you've got from those conversations for facilitators what would that be i think one is that the workshop doesn't begin when the workshop begins what i mean by that is you can actually craft and create a lot of great energy and it, um, expectations prior to the workshop beginning through the way that invitations are sent out. Um, one idea that I've had recently is actually creating a video for clients so they actually know who I am before they walk into the workshop. So getting them all comfortable and getting that sort of certainty um, met. So I think a lot, we, don't, we spend a lot of time on the actual workshop design, but we don't spend a lot of time on helping clients or if we're working internally, like craft the invitations, craft the expectations, give people the information they need to make sure that they're okay showing up to the learning environment and prepared. I think that's one thing. Um, another thing, and every facilitator says this, is talking about the preparation. And mm. it does sound boring, but it, it's, it's essential. And so I definitely, as a result, I stack a lot of my time into the preparation. What that means is if you know your content and know what you'll be doing during a session, you can then spend your brain energy focusing on the group dynamics you don't have to really worry about what i need to talk about because you know it because you've prepared so you've got that in your back pocket which means that you've got the rest of your brain focusing on okay why isn't this person contributing are they actually listening and and engaging with the content um yeah so preparation's key i've picked up a few different icebreakers along the way as well um and uh, oh, the other thing is also <laughs> um, the warm down routine. So we talk a lot about how do we get everyone doing like breaking the ice. But at the end of the day, uh, what I've developed then is like a warm down routine to how we actually finish a workshop. Because I think we, do, we stack a lot of the good stuff at the beginning, but we can really make a great impact by um, having something that's robust towards the end of a workshop as well. I love that. I'm just picturing, you know, we think about that for physical exercise, the warm up and then the actual activity and then the warm down. But I, I'm loving what that could look like in a workshop as well. Um, and is this something that uh, doesn't matter on the length of the workshop, if, you know, let's say half day or one or multiple days that you consider? Yeah, I think it's just a matter of scaling it. So if you've got, say, three activities in your warm down routine, if it was a half day workshop, you could just move that to one. Yeah, the, the longer the workshop length, I think you need to adjust your warm down so it suits. So if you run a marathon, you don't just stop and get into the car because you just freeze up. It's, it's thinking about um, how much do we owe to this warm down routine and the whole reflection to value the time that we had together as a group. Yeah, gotcha. Love it. I love that a lot. Yeah. And I, I think these facilitation tips are valuable and can be applied not just in facilitating a workshop, but how someone uh, runs a meeting or conducts a presentation. Oh yeah, that's the beauty of facilitation as well. It's not just for facilitators, it's for anyone that actually has to have a two-way conversation or a group discussion as part of their role. Even like for coaching and um, yeah, project managers, you're right. It, it, there's a ton of different people that listen to my podcast that aren't pure facilitators. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm going to put you on the spot here, my friend. Uh, what's a stuff up in a workshop when you've been facilitating, you're happy to share. <laughs> well, probably the one that comes to mind was probably the worst stuff up. And that, that actually was a reason, another reason why I started my podcast. Cause I really thought I couldn't close this one off. I kept thinking about it. Um, a time in my workshop in Canada, uh, 
Second half of day one, it had been going really well, this leadership program. I was the only female, the facilitator, the rest were 20, 20 blokes in mining. And uh, we had to do pre-start presentations. So that's getting up in front of everyone and doing a two-minute pre-start, two-minute speech. It was going really well. Fifth person in. Um, I'm like, hey, Rob, yep, you're up. And he's like, I'm not doing it. <laughs> so he, he turned, his face turned red. His, he folded his arms. He's like, I'm not, I'm not doing it. And it completely changed the tone of the workshop. Um, and I was like, okay, I didn't really know what to do. This is a few years ago, mm. um, first time facilitator. And then I was like, right, okay, next guy, uh, Adam, can you come up? And he's like, no. So uh, that was really, it's one of your worst nightmares as a facilitator. And I guess um, what I did in that moment was fortunately, we spoke a lot in the morning about uh, the ladder of learning and how you learn out of your comfort zone and how you have to go through ouch moments. So I very quickly brought the ladder of learning back and talked through it. Thankfully, Adam came up and then everyone else continued, but it really created a, uh, yeah, it really dropped the tone in, in the workshop room and he was highly influential. So I think now if I had to, knowing what I know, I probably would have perhaps called a break and just said, look, we'll grab a cup of coffee now. Hey, Rob, can we have a chat outside or, or something along those lines without not embarrassing or not, I want to save face, but also address showing the rest of the room that I was addressing it. Yeah. And I think even your insight earlier about how the communication and the setup for the workshop started starts yes. way before the start of the workshop. And I wonder what communication, what information to influence mindsets happened before that workshop. Back then. Uh, that yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, thank you. I didn't even, that didn't even dawn on me, but they're very connected, those two. You're right. And I didn't, we didn't really talk about expectations prior to that. So I don't know if, with, if it happens with you, Murray, but I've run a few workshops where people arrive, they're, they're in there, they're folding their arms and go, so what is this about? We've been told we had to come to training. <laughs> yeah, I, and unfortunately, yes. I, I have, you know, um, in lots of workshops and where it's, unfortunately being communicated like here's this thing you need to go to it or not even been told um and it does influence the way people show up and mm. i think it gives a bigger um insight into the culture of the organization or the skills of the leader again coming back to what's the role of the leader in those um uh elements of their role in um, supporting their people and helping their people develop yeah i've had those but i think Again, as I've developed and improved as a facilitator, my aim would be then how can I focus on the mindset and the attitude that people are bringing to the workshop as opposed to let's just go on with the content yes. if that's what's in front of me. And like you said, the energy in the room can shift and change and you work mm -hmm. with that to um, and create a space where everyone can get as much out of it as possible. I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's a key role of facilitation is picking up on the energy shift and then doing what it takes to keep it on track or keep it productive and moving. And even if that is exploring, you know, why things aren't working, I think it's, that's fine as well. It's about being flexible in that agenda that you've got too. So no two days are ever the same, um, oh. even if you've got the same content every day. It's so different. I totally agree. And I think I've had some clients where they're expecting the same thing and I know that's not who I am and it's not what the group needs. But again, that just is a reminder to me around making sure my clients understand my approach is to serve the people in the room mm. during that time as best as I can based on what they need. Yes. Uh, yeah. Even if that doesn't mean like getting through the whole, um, every single model that's outlined in the program. Yeah, I know I've, I've had conversations with people and they say, look, sometimes I'll skip the activity debrief to make sure that um, I finish the agenda. And I'm like, oh, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> it is hard to influence clients sometimes because I think people have their own ideas of what a good outcome is for training. Mm. And then you talked about the culture of some companies. Sometimes the culture is compliance. I look back on some of my early days in my career where, um, when I was uh, leading a team of trainers and we would have sometimes leaders send people back to the same training course three or four times because they haven't quite got it. 
<laughs> yeah, that still happens. Yeah, and I'm like, and now I realise there was a conversation I should have been having about, hang on, it's not about the skills, it's about the will, it's about the mindset, it's about something else going on, not just sending this person back to the same confined space or isolation and lockout training program. Yeah. And, and by the way, our trainings isn't punishment. This is a reward. <laughs> and, <laughs> but it's also funny because you think, um, why is the training session then looked as it's like the band aid or by going back to magic, is, is it the magic wand that people are expecting? Cause I think leaders often think I'm going to send this person too much to the two day workshop. They're going to walk out. They'll be fixed. And it doesn't work that way. No, no, that's exactly right. Mm. So, um, You've made the transition, as you're saying uh, earlier in the conversation, a little while ago to um, being an independent facilitator. Mm-hmm. How does that feel? It feels good. I've just done a, um, it's been six months now. So I just did a quick LinkedIn video about what I've learned, what I picked up. I think um, what I'm noticing talking about inspired energy is really about when I left my corporate job, I thought I'd be working the same hours, like working 7.30 to 4.30. I thought if I could do that, I'll just smash it. But I'm finding that um, because I've got all this flexibility now, I'm seeing when my energy is most useful. So mornings are really great for me. Lunchtime, I'm pretty hopeless. So I actually cook dinner at lunchtime now, which is awesome. Yep. I hang out with my dogs more. They get a couple more walks and then I sort of work again later in the afternoon. So um, leaving corporate as well. Like, I love the social elements of corporate. I had some really great mates in my job. And I think the biggest thing that I missed was having uh, brainstorming buddies, people to just talk through ideas with because I am ideations number one. Um, so as a result, I think within six weeks, I quickly decided to get a business coach just so I had some formal accountability as well as a formal brainstorming buddy as well. So she's been really helpful. Um, it's really, you feel like you've got to be productive all the time, but it, it's trying to get out of that corporate mindset is it's taken some time. I'm still in it. Yep. So the transition has been great though. I've had a really great variety of clients. I didn't just quit my job. I spent about 12 months leading up to the process of leaving. So I'd already, it was getting to a point working in corporate where I was saying no to some opportunities. So, um, once that started happening, I thought I'll just take the leap. And the worst thing that can happen is I get another job if things don't work out. But so far, so good. Um, yeah. But I know this whole game of solopreneurship, it goes up and down. So yeah. I'm ready to run. Yeah. So I, and I know when I started as well five years ago, I was, um, and my wife um, looks back on it with humour, let me just say that, where it was like, oh, I need to get dressed in my exact work clothes today and make sure I'm at my office desk by 9am and, and in this certain um, mindset, and I know now I've had a client recently say to me, how many hours do you work a week? And I said, I actually don't know because mm. I'll do a bit of work on Sunday. I might do some on Thursday night and, and because it doesn't feel like work, I'm doing what I love doing and it's with the flow of my life. Yes, you get it. Yeah. I feel a bit guilty about it, um, <laughs> but it's so nice. I get a friend that um, was in Brisbane, so I could just hang out with lunch for, for a couple of hours on Monday, and then I just did some other work. You're right, and doesn't none of it actually feels like work because it's it's all like, I mean, there's some annoying admin stuff. I really still maybe I need to start outsourcing some some work, but um, majority of it is really interesting, and I'm learning so much about all aspects of business contracts, legal stuff I had no idea about. Um, marketing I know a bit about which is good but that's the other thing you can go down a rabbit hole there's so much information out there for business owners um, and sometimes you just got to stop getting all the information and training and then just execute on on the things that you need to do so we we're talking a bit before about mindset in workshops and, and certainly one of the things that I have been processing and working through uh, all the time is my own mindset and when I first started I would go through the mindsets of there's not much work out there in my area, in my area, I won't be successful through to an abundance mindset of there's just so many opportunities out there. And it is amazing the difference of what is attracted to me when I have that abundance mindset. Yes. Actually, when I got back from the States, I was, um, cause I hadn't got a pipeline of work between getting back from the States and my next gig. So I've got four or five weeks of no work at all. 
And I got back from the States thinking, oh my gosh, why didn't I work on the pipeline beforehand? But as I said to you pre-conversation, this has been an absolute blessing. But you're right, um, that scarcity mindset, it sneaks in. And, it, and then you've actually got to question it and think, hang on, this is not serving me. Um, how do I start channeling this abundance mindset? And then you're right, the second you do that, I just had emails of really amazing opportunities to come into my inbox. Um, by being proactive and just by thinking and looking at things a bit differently. But you've got to watch yourself because that self-talk can come in and you can just accept it. You constantly have to question the thoughts that are coming into your head. Mm. And because where are they coming from? It's a different place of fear and our brain does that to, to protect us. Uh, but I, logically doing a lot of, you know, forecasting, I don't have to worry, but it's still like, I think that's the thing with business because you don't know all the time there's no predictable income coming in so you feel like i've constantly got to be hustling which is not the case no 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 it's exactly right and um i think i'm again i love your strengths coming out as you're talking that positivity um and that futuristic um (laughs) all the time um Mm. what has knowing your clifton strengths meant for you well it's funny because I did a lot of being in the role that I'm in. I've done a lot of different assessments, you know, like the DISC, MBTI, um, the TMS profile. The second I did strength, it just turned my whole world around. I remember reading the report and under ideation, it was saying uh, you, gr- you cringe when people say we've done, we do it because we've always done it this way. And it's true. Like I actually, I hate that statement when people say that to me. I really, I just really react to it. The first report that picked details like that up so what it did was in my role it actually gave me a language first of all to have a conversation with my manager and really talk about the the tasks that I was working on and possible opportunities and within the space of say two months following my top even just the top five report um, my work environment completely changed I'd gone from not really getting opportunities to facilitate workshops to then traveling internationally um, doing this sort of stuff so it it actually sort of verified that what I, because my executing, I don't really have, I think I've got one, I've got focus in my top 10 <laughs> yep. for, um, for execution. So I was wondering, and a lot of the tasks I was working at the time were very uh, maintenance type of tasks where it didn't involve a lot of creativity at all. And so having that, being able to have a language to talk to my manager just shifted the whole game. And I thought, wow, this is serving me well in this. Um, imagine what it can do for other people. And if everyone else knows what their strengths are, then I started reading up on all the stats and yeah, I got really excited about it. But that's probably the first thing is that it gave me that language to communicate uh, and make my role better. Fantastic. I, I love how there was that shift in um, the work you were doing, still doing the work that needs to be done, but uh, maybe dividing the work up a little bit differently in the team or what you're getting the chance to focus on through that conversation with your manager at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, and of course you mentioned before with your, your husband as well, that you um, yeah. were able to bring that into that relationship as well. Yeah. Well, cause it's funny cause I've got futuristic. He has context. My harmony is like 31. His is number two. So we, we go to, we go to Asia and I don't know if I've told you this, but he, like I barter prices cause that's what you do over there. But he just loves giving people more money because he just feels sorry for them. And this is his harmony thing coming through. His activator is very low. Mine's very high. So it explains why there's sometimes we have disagreements on things. Like if he has an idea, I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it now. And he's like, no, no, no. And so us talking about it and sharing that, it's also been great for him because he's actually got a, a job interview coming up. Um, he's leaving his old role as a maintenance supervisor and he was preparing for his job interview. And I'm like, look, just look at your top five and highlight those phrases. So um, for us working together, it's been really great. And we can understand why each of us responds in certain ways, um, which brings, just, it's great for the relationship, I think. Oh, totally. And, and yeah, yeah. Same, same for us. And, and I, I love that link you just said then around when he's going for a new role. And I've seen that with a few people I've worked with where, the language in the report gives you uh, a way to talk about yourself in a confident, non-arrogant way in a job interview. Yeah. And not to slip into, I'm a job interviewee, I will answer questions the way that the best practice says I should or some crap like that. You actually can turn up and be yourself and talk about 
what it is you bring through the language of your strengths. And I've seen people then be more successful through doing that. Yeah. And the report highlights, I mean, harmony, right? Like when would you ever pick that out as how would you ever know that was a strength of yours? It's because we, there's certain strengths that are really admired in companies are ones about, you know, the command and making decisions and, and all that. But you can say that you're a team player, but the way that harmony is described and, and how you can bring that out, I think giving that language and being able to, like you said, talk about it so confidently, because when people ask you what your strengths are, it's really quite difficult to highlight that yourself because you're stuck in your own brain. You don't know what is unique to you. Yeah. So yeah. To have that on paper is so great. Totally. Now, something else I know that you're passionate about, and that is people getting the most out of conferences when they attend. <laughs> um, and actually, I, what I think is so important is actually applying what it is that they got from that conference back into the workplace. Um, what do you think is some of the pitfalls or some of the challenges with the whole, you know, I'm, I'm going to a conference because it's, you know, been... Uh, identified as part of my development or a performance plan, or it's just, I think it's nice. What do you think are some of those pitfalls and how do we overcome those? Well, I think a pitfall is, it's funny. I, I bring this objection up all in my workshop all the time because everyone says, oh, I went to this conference and workshop, but nothing happened um, as a result. So the question I have for everyone is, well, who's responsible for making it worth your time? And it's not your manager, it's you. You're the one that went to the event. So then you've got to think about, right, knowing all this sort of stuff, how can I make sure this time, uh, this is my maximising sort of coming in as well. Um, what are some strategies that you can use to make sure that it was worth your time? So if you think about conferences, the information is great and that is one thing. I think most importantly are the connections that you make through the conference, even if it's an internal event. Um, so I would say... A couple of strategies that I've used. One is I'll set a um, time in my calendar. So maybe three days after the workshop, I'll put something into my diary to say, review your notes, just, just one hour over a glass of wine, uh, review your notes. Um, the second thing to put in the calendar is follow up with three people that I met, even just send them a message or, and relate it back to a conversation that we had. What I did after the strengths conference, which you would have seen was I created a video which highlighted a few of my learnings. So I do that for a few reasons. One was to capture the things that I learnt. Second was to show appreciation to the event organisers. And the third was to connect with people that I hadn't met at the conference who saw the video. And that worked really well. I got all these new contacts as a result. Um, so I think, yeah, the accountability needs to shift. And if you think you're going to these things and not getting any value, I feel like there is always value, whether it's the info or the connections or something that might, that might have shifted, but to implement that, you've got to schedule time for it. You won't just wake up being hit by inspiration and thinking, oh yeah, I should implement this. You need to yeah. think about how it will work. Yeah. Some really simple, practical things, which, and I love your LinkedIn post that you shared on the summit. Um, and even doing that, that uh, I'm sure solidified your own learnings by doing that, not just for those people that were reading that, I, I, um, I agree too. There's a level of ownership that people need to have when they go to an event, um, what they do with it when they get back, what, how they showed up, how they prepared or, and scheduling that time so they can, um, get as much value as they can out of, um, their time they've invested. Yeah. Cause often because you've taken a couple of days out of your work day to go to a conference, you come back and then you're sucked in cause you're catching up with like the hundreds of emails that you've got left to do and, so scheduling time ahead is a really good idea. And it's um, even if you sort of see it, you hit snooze, just reset it again, um, just to get that value back. It's only an hour. And I, with, you, you know, like the, what's it called? The curve of remembering. I can't remember which model this one is, but um, every sort of day that you let slip by, you'll remember less and less and less. So 100%, yeah. by day four, you won't really have recollected anything. So it's important the first three days. I totally agree. And I think that those little strategies of whether it's with people or writing down notes or doing a blog or a report back to your colleagues or having a conversation with someone over a cup of coffee about it, every one of those little activities helps lock in the learning. Yeah. Oh, you're totally right. I love that actually catching up for a coffee and sharing what I learned. Yeah. That's the best way of doing it. Yeah. <laughs> so um, what's coming up for you next? 
Yeah, so um, in a couple of weeks, I'm off to Hong Kong to run uh, some uh, quite a few workshops, actually. So mid-level leadership training, unconscious bias training and coaching for performance workshops. So I've done a bit of work in Asia before um, and I've been talking to a few people about the differences between Asian culture in terms of facilitation. So really doing a lot of prep work on that. And then I'm releasing a framework. I've created an acronym. It's called DICE. So like throwing the dice. And that stands for Driving Influential Contagious Experiences. So I want to help managers throw the dice in meetings. So how do you create an environment in a meeting that is full of contagious energy, but people feel it was productive? Um, how do you throw the dice in a workshop? How do you make it more engaging? So that's what I'll be working on and releasing a bit later on. And... I'm also, I've caught up with one of my favourite authors in New York City. Her name is Jenny Blake and she wrote a book called Pivot, which was um, just um, probably the number one book that's impacted me. It's all about how you can pivot your career. And that's actually how I found out about strengths was through that book. And we're looking at opportunities for me to be a pivot coach for Jenny in the APAC region. So yeah, a few exciting things coming up. Um, And you're just navigating the whole solopreneurship and trying to build the business as well. Wow, I've got some cool things on the horizon and I love the idea of a pivot coach, but also the workshops you've got coming up in um, Hong Kong sound very exciting as well. Um, And talking to leaders about their unconscious bias, that is so powerful and um, I'm sure you'll be um, lighting some sparks in some people about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I've been doing a ton of reading about it. There's so many biases out there and, and it's funny, even if you know them, they still hit you, right? You still still get caught, but it's nice to raise the awareness. I, I, and I think that awareness is the first step. And um, I love having the conversations about the awareness because uh, even that in itself then creates this, this attention to not even knowing about them in the first place. Um, we, we talk about them at home and I had um, even conversations with my children about them for them to be aware about how they're showing up. And um, it's just so powerful. Um, and I know as you know, with what you're doing there with leaders, that's going to be so helpful to help them in the way they lead and mm-hmm. how they can maybe not just be aware of those, but start to let some of them go as well. Yeah, that's right. And it's such a challenge as well, but, and that's, that's the value of it. And you can't sort of change anyone's, um, behavior in, in the course of three hours, but like you said, you can plant the seed and hopefully they can take that away and start realizing how it's playing out at home and at work. So you also mentioned around some of the cultural differences in different countries and uh, facilitating in some of the Asian countries. So I'm not too sure if you're aware, there's a guy called Professor Gert Hosted, Hosted, um, and that's the Hofsted Insights. And I'll send you a link and make sure it's in the show notes, but it's about the, what he calls this power separation index between individuals in different countries. And the fact that um, some of the Clifton strengths like Harmony are higher up in the top five in countries like Japan and China and Hong Kong um, is no surprise because it's that um, process of being that's just been there for so long around keeping that harmony in the way that we work and interact with different people. And the research that Professor Hostev has done identifies that what he calls the power separation of how then that shows up for the way that leaders and different people interact with each other and with teams. So it's really exciting. And this, this free website actually you can go in there and put in different countries and he shows you across the different measures um, of what um, they look like. That is amazing. Thank you. I'm going to um, please send me the link because this audience is like expats and locals. So even looking at that data in the workshop and talking about that might be a good idea. Yep. I'll make sure it's in the notes with some links to the wonderful Leanne Hughes, but also I'll send it through to you too. Now, um, inspired energy, you've given me a really cool definition. Um, What comes to mind right now when you think about inspired energy? Yeah, I guess for me, it's inspired energy is contagious energy. So it's actually having interactions with people and leaving, making them feel like you've injected energy into their, into their world. So they're ready to take some action. So probably back to Harry Potter, the opposite of what a Dementor does. So <laughs> of energy, you're like giving it to them. 
that's how I see it. I, I feel like inspired energy is just floating around and you can't be like this hundred percent of the time. And I'm not like this hundred percent of the time, but I do like to, when I do meet up with people leaving the interaction. So like the energy's passed on to them to take some action. Yeah. I, I just pictured the Dementor and, and that is such a valuable um, image. <laughs> they do, they, they're sucking the soul or the energy out of people. And we, look, there's people around, like I know a couple of Dementors. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. I, I feel for them. Maybe, maybe open your next workshop with, okay, put your hand up if you know you're a bit of a Dementor because <laughs> identify those in the room today. Yeah, please leave. <laughs> but yeah, but I I, I uh, have a bit of a a cold at the moment, and you have brought a sense of energy to me. I'm feeling better than the start of the conversation, so that's what you've brought. So thank you. Oh, thank you. And and look, as to you, I think I've really enjoyed this conversation and all the all the um, incredible value that you offer as well. Um, yeah, it's been really fun. Yeah, thanks, Leanne. I will definitely have you on again soon. I want to hear more about your travels and your insights. Um, you are doing some great work on your podcast, but I want to have you back on mine as well to talk about what it is that you're learning as you're running all these amazing workshops too. Um, if someone wants to connect with you, where's the best place to go online? Oh, Oh, that's a good question. So my website's at leannehughes.com. Uh, my podcast, as we alluded to, is First Time Facilitator. And I actually love playing on LinkedIn at the moment. That's my platform of choice. If you asked me last month, I would have said Instagram, but the platform of the month is LinkedIn. So you can find me there. Just search for Leanne Hughes. Um, yeah, it'd be great to connect with all of your listeners on, on those platforms. Wonderful. I'll make sure that there's links to all of those in the show notes. If you got something out of this conversation, and I'm sure you have, there was so much value in catching up with the wonderful Leanne, please share on social media and make sure you tag Leanne and tag me. Also use the hashtag inspired energy. And uh, please, um, as Leanne talked about, the power comes from the learning when we reflect on that and we share that. So if you share that online, not only does it help get the word out there, helps lock in some of those lessons you might've heard in our conversation today. Um, Leanne, I want again acknowledge your um, wealth of energy and sharing and inspiration and humor. Um, I loved catching up with you at Omaha and look forward to seeing you again soon. And it was been so awesome chatting with you today. Thank you. Likewise, Mars. I hope you feel better soon. Thank you so much for the conversation. Yeah, thank you. I will feel better soon. Have an awesome trip. Cheers.